This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, Kuro, a member of the retro gaming community, has just posted an absolute deep dive analysis of different HDMI DACs, HDMI digital to analog converters, specifically ones that go from HDMI to VGA, and tested in conjunction with Mr. Direct Video. And I think this is an absolutely incredible deep dive. I'll give everybody kind of the short version here. So if uh, you're not as nerdy as I am, you could still understand it. But I do have to say, if you even like dipping your toes into the nerdiness side of these things, definitely check out the full document because it's really great info. But basically, there's a whole bunch of inconsistent and some just not good digital to analog HDMI converters out there. Anybody that's followed this channel for a while always hears me say, the uh, retrorgb.link forward slash cheap DAC, which goes to an Amazon page that has the ones that I use, but I specifically tell people to go to Amazon so you could return it if they don't work. Because unfortunately, the consistency of these things are terrible. And it's not just consistency of compatibility with 15 kilohertz sources. That is a huge problem. And by the way, just a quick aside, Last year, actually, I was talking to Postman, of all people, about this, and he found the, or he bought the exact same one that I did, basically the same week, and his worked and my didn't. And we both used the same link from the same store on Amazon, and he even sent me his to test, and I was able to confirm his worked and my didn't. And we popped them both open, and we both looked, and it had the same chip on it with slightly different circuitry around it. So the consistency of these things are terrible, but not just with compatibility, with the quality of output that you get. And some of the things that Kuro found could be explained by higher tolerance, cheaper components. So a lot of times, these off-the-shelf things that you pick up from Amazon are just white box rebrands. They're all the same thing. And to save money, the reason you're able to get a 7 or $8 adapter is you use components with a much higher tolerance. So you got stuff like resistors that we in the retro gaming scene with these smaller projects usually use 1% tolerant resistors, which means if you have 100 ohm, it could be 99, 100, or 101, but that's it, pretty strict. Whereas cheaper components are often 5%. So there's a lot of things that I don't want to get too deep into this. I don't want to lose all my non-nerds, but I just wanted to give like a very quick one-minute overview of why there could be so much of a degree 
discrepancy between them. And Kuro went through and found a couple that did perform well each time and multiple purchases were made. But it was kind of funny. When I made this post, I used one of the good ones as an example in the thumbnail. And after talking to Kuro, I realized you can't get that one. So I kind of, this, anybody who saw the thumbnail of the post, um, or the, in, uh, anybody who's watching this on video, there are two of the same brand that look kind of similar, but the one you could buy today performs terrible. And the one that you could buy six months, a year ago was the one that performed fine. So the document that was put out was awesome. And it just does a deep analysis of all of this. The one thing that Kuro and I both fully agreed on, and Kuro did mention this in the document, but that wasn't the focus of the document. So I want to say it here, consistency in whether it works or not. When you're talking about items that are 10 bucks, I think, I still strongly think that that is more important than performance. Because if you're really looking for performance, you could you could go down a rabbit hole of DAX for video and audio and spend ungodly amounts of money that you don't need to. So I still fully stand by the uh, discussion last week of the Laser Bear adapter using the Ranky adapter, which didn't perform very well. I still stand by that as a good purchase because while you might not get the same quality, or you might because these adapters are very inconsistent, Greg has made sure that they work before shipping it to you. So you're not going to plug something into your mister and it just won't work at all. And on top of all of that, they are all zero latency, all the ones that just convert from digital to analog. So I still think when you take price and consistency into account, the ones that Kuro had flagged as bad are still not as good as the others. But in that kind of context, uh, I think that's important. But I think more importantly than all of this, no disrespect to Kuro, I think Kuro's work really shows how badly we need a community-made digital-to-analog converter. Lucky for us, somebody who has a history of putting out very cool and reliable products, uh, and even more to come, this is on their list, and I believe a prototype is already in place. So I still think that if you're looking for a cheap DAC, the link that I always talk about uh, and the stuff that, uh, like last week's thing with Greg and the, the ones that Kuro highlighted that I linked to as well, the cheap ones, I still think those are good because somebody making things in quantities of a few hundred or even a few thousand will never, ever be able to compete with price with these huge companies putting these things out 100,000 at a run and you know maybe some work and maybe some don't. So the the homebrew one is not going to be a ten or twenty dollar adapter. I don't think it's going to be a multi hundred dollar adapter either. But I think this is going to be one of those you get what you pay for scenarios. And the only very lucky thing about this is even the ones that didn't perform that well still don't add latency. So if you're looking for something cheap to hold you over, pick up one of the ones that Kuro found here. If you just bought the Laser Bear adapter. That's totally fine. Um, all of that stuff is still going to be relevant. Uh, and with the laser bear adapter, absolutely worst case scenario. If for whatever reason it drives your eyes crazy, pull out the Ranky adapter if you got one of the ones that aren't performing well, and then just plug a different one in. And if it doesn't fit right, shoot a little thing of hot glue in there. That's the perfect use for hot glue. You'll stick your little adapter in so it won't pop out. If you ever need to remove it, you know, you just add a little bit of heat with a hair dryer and poof, comes right off or a little isopropyl or something. So I still think that 
Kuro's document is super important. I'm going to be referencing it from now on when we talk about these things. But at the same time, I stand by the recommendation of the cheaper ones, because unlike things like crappy pound cables and thing, uh, HDMI adapters that were designed for DVD and VHS, those add a ton of latency and destroy the image most of the time. Whereas the stuff like the Ranky adapter is less quality, but you're not destroying the image and you're not adding latency. So when price is taken into account, I think that's pretty cool. Also, a quick side note, um, I did talk to Greg about this. He had also read through it and he's going to look into options and, and stuff like that. But I think, I think both of our perspectives of, you know, Greg's already tested a ton of these Ranky adapters. They're all working, or at least all the ones that are shipping to customers are working. I think he said he found at least one that wasn't working that he shipped back. I still think that's a good thing. I, I do also like how Greg's always looking forward to evolving this stuff, but I just want to make sure, and I over-explain, a cheap plug-and-play thing that solves a problem that works exactly as you would hope, maybe not as good as you would hope if you got a bad one, but no lag added. I still think that's a good purchase. I just also think if you're a stickler for this stuff, you've probably already had a DAC that you've used for a while. You're probably looking around for others, or you're just going to wait for the community ones to come out. So sorry to uh, open this week's with a very long technical deep dive, but I just wanted to put everything into perspective because there's a lot of really smart people out there that, um, I'm just a little bit better at explaining things than they are. So when this document first started coming around, it was presented in a way that's like anybody that uses anything else is an idiot. And, you know, it's that's not what Kuro meant. That's that was not what Kuro said either. That's just some, you know, some people that um, just get very passionate about this stuff kind of went about it the wrong way. And uh, I'm sorry that uh, I didn't. It took me a little while to go back and read it. But Kuro's work's awesome. Um, the document was great, and we're all hopefully going to learn from this and move forward. But I think um, I think we're in a, a decent place with DAX because at least they don't add lag. But I'm really, really, really looking for the one made by the community for the community. And if it's a hundred bucks, but it's filled with features, I'll still buy it happily. Hopefully, it won't be though. Hopefully, it'll be a lot. Uh, I'm gonna I'll pull a Mike Chi slash Apple. Hope for it to be 100 and be happy when it's less. I, I, I don't know. That seemed to piss a lot of people off, but whatever. I'm fine with it. Next, Lou from Lou's Retrosource just posted a video that shows you how to use NFC cards to launch games on a mister just by waving them around or tapping them onto your mister. This is using work done by Wizzo and Gareth Jones, and I freaking love this. What a really cool and just fun way to have a physical interaction with your game collection while still using hardware FPGA emulation in order to run them. And yes, I'm sure there's people listening to this that are going, that's dumb. Why can't you just pick out the game from the menu like everybody else? And that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that opinion, but I do just so appreciate this side of things. And it just makes me smile to see something like taking your complete in box Genesis game and tap that onto your mister and that game loads. It just has that tactile feel and interaction that I really think is awesome. And it's not as cool as plugging in your original cartridge, but it still gives you the chance to pick up and hold the box and I don't know. It, it just, it's a different experience. So if that's something you're into, or even if you don't really want to do that for your own, uh, your own setup, but you think it's neat, definitely give Lou's video a watch. It just, it's very cool to see all of this. And it makes me smile just to see kind of a mix of, you know, original and, uh, and modern ways of playing games. Also funny enough. Um, I, 
tweeted about this, and my phone auto-corrected NFC to NFT. And then I tweeted, put my phone away, and I didn't check it for a couple hours. And then when I logged back in, I was laughing very hard because people thought I was trying to peddle NFTs or something like that. So I wanted to share a couple of autocorrect faux pas because in the past year, I have had my phone autocorrect words to words that I have never typed into this phone or any phone ever, I'm pretty sure. Um, the one that I definitely, definitely haven't typed, I'll tell you that in a second. Here's the first one. Yesterday, I said to a friend, the place up the artery does good steak salads. The place up the street, it changed street to artery. Other than when Voltar is making fat jokes against me, I don't think I've used that word. But my absolute favorite, a word that I have never typed into any phone ever, the other day a friend of mine asked if I had checked out this new pierogi place somewhere near me. And I said, no, but I freaking love pierogies. But it changed pierogies to peepholes. So I sent my friend, I freaking love peepholes. Never said that word before in, a con in the context of this. Never typed that word before. Uh, never even gone into a people scenario. So, yeah, I, uh, hopefully you all will continue to laugh at my autocorrect mistakes when they happen publicly. Uh, thanks for everybody for being a pretty good sport about that and not seriously thinking I was peddling NFTs. But not sure why my, auto my phone autocorrected that. But I also don't know why it autocorrected peepholes and arteries either. So hopefully that kind of put a smile on people's faces. I just posted a review of a Vizio TV that I ended up returning, and while I tried to make the video something that anybody who's into games might enjoy or learn something from, I wanted to focus on what we might normally talk about here, so not less of a general thing. It's going to be short, just a couple minutes, but even if you saw the video or if you don't care about the video, just give me a second. So... First, the reason I bought this TV is because it was 4K 120, but also supported a 1080p 240 hertz mode that I thought would be neat to run a bunch of experiments on. And while I think the TV might be a good choice for somebody that needs mostly a TV, but also sometimes does PC gaming at higher refresh rates, this might be a pretty good choice. But for most other reasons, I just didn't like it at all. I explain all that in the video and show some mediocre examples. I'm sorry, this wasn't my best video. I just, I couldn't put 40 hours into a video about a TV. I'm telling you probably not to buy anyway. So I, I, I wouldn't say I half-assed it, but it's not a typical deep dive Bob video. But the info that was in that video was all accurate, all the technical information. And there's two other things that I really wanted to point out here. One is an easy one. Why on earth is a 720p progressive, not somehow 720 interlaced, a 720p source causing 40 milliseconds of latency in game mode? And yes, I didn't show it in the video, but I double checked it was in game mode when I switched, switched resolutions because that would be possible. You put it in game mode in 1080p, you switch it to 720p, and you have to re-put it into game mode. I've seen TVs do that before. That wasn't it. So right off the bat, something's broken because you should not have that much latency, especially when 480p and 1080p are about the same latency. So that one was kind of a, a fun aside that I thought you all might be interested in. But here's the most important thing. So I, I hope people have stuck around for the two minutes to get to this point. I think when you're choosing your display, you really need to focus on what the refresh rate you're mostly going to be using is. And if 120 hertz isn't important to you, 
you might not want to go down that road for gaming. And so some quick examples here, that cheap LG TV that I just gave away, that one that's been in a million of my videos had four milliseconds of average latency when in game mode with progressive sources. That's awesome. This TV with 60 hertz sources, I think had 12 and it dropped down to seven at 120. So no matter what, you're always gonna have a higher latency. So if you want a 120 hertz panel, if you need those extra features and that's something that you're into, then cool. But if not, at least check the latency. Now I will say my gaming monitor, which is also the monitor I use here, that has very low latency in 60 hertz mode. So. Totally cool to use it for both. I just want to make the point of when you're buying a TV or any kind of monitor, check. Uh, Ratings.com does a good job of this. Just check anybody else posting reviews that you want to make sure that the latency is still low in 60 hertz mode. Otherwise, you might end up just spending, like I almost spent a lot of money on a TV just to add more latency and not get the performance that you were hoping for. So I think with gaming monitors, it's probably going to be way easier to find something that's low latency in both. But double check when you're buying a TV, is the latency low enough in 60 hertz mode? And maybe still go watch the video and decide for yourself what you think about that. Joe from GameSack just posted his RetroTink 4K pre-release review, and it was awesome, but there's a few things I definitely want to point out and hopefully highlight for him. First and foremost, those sideways scanline shots were so awesome. I've never seen artificial scanlines come through a video that good before. Um, I wish I could say something like, I'm going to steal that idea for me, but I don't think I could pull that off. So well freaking done, Joe. That was absolutely awesome. Joe also was able to clarify which surround formats were and were not compatible with the Tink 4K. And a few people had asked in the comments, so I guess I didn't explain right in my video, all of the analog audio inputs pass through absolutely perfect. You don't have to worry about anything uh, other than Dolby Surround, which hopefully Mike will have a flag to enable that for receivers that need an HDMI flag. If not, if you're like mine, you could always just enable Dolby Surround and it does it for you. Check out that surround sound video I did a couple months ago if you want more info on that stuff. Um, but apparently I got that wrong in my video. I said it only accepts stereo over HDMI. And apparently it basically accepts all of the Dolby Digital 5.1 and DTS 5.1. There's just mainly a couple of more modern formats like Dolby Atmos, DTSX, and 7.1 LPCM that it won't accept. So that's when you would want to go back and get one of those HDMI audio extractors or an HDMI matrix switch or any of the stuff that I talked about. So thanks to Joe for clarifying that. Um, but also, Joe showed a ton of very cool footage of weird gaming scenarios that people always ask about things like scaling PSP and then what if you enable sharp scale and then have the tank scale it from there what about GameCube I loved the GameCube with a Game Boy player and I'm watching that and for half a second I went what the hell are you really showing the Game Boy player disc and then of course immediately after Joe showed the Game Boy interface Extremes's way to, to launch it and the custom Firebrand X profile, and holy crap, Game Boy Advance looked amazing. Plus, there's GameCube footage and a bunch of other stuff. So if you want more juicy details on the RetroTINK 4K, I would definitely watch it. Um, there were a few things that weren't 
quite ready for um, for launch that uh, Joe showed, but was also uh, honest about that. The time-based correction that's in the Tink 5X hasn't been ported over to the 4K yet, but probably will. Uh, same with things like the Dolby Surround flag on the HDMI output. Hopefully will be done, but yeah, I don't know. I loved the video. I thought it was great. And I mean, this is coming from somebody that spent like, 40 hours doing my video and I still enjoyed watching watching Joe's on it. So I'm really also looking forward to my life in gaming and digital foundries and basically everybody else's video on this, but uh, this was a good one. Highly, highly recommend. And uh, I, I can't wait till this thing is done and it starts hitting people's hands. Hopefully still in 2023. That's not like a hint or anything. I'm just saying anybody that's ever manufactured anything knows how easy it is for the smallest thing to delay stuff. But it's definitely looking at least like a 2023 release, and I'm excited for it. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video showcasing some SNES mods, and the video is great. I definitely recommend watching it, but there's a few things that I'd like to add my own thoughts about, both because I want to kind of add to the conversation and also because I'm wordy and I talk too much. But first and foremost, I loved that paint job, and I strongly recommend that people with cracked yellowed cases who might want to be spicing their console up look to do something like that. I'm friends with Russ Lyman, who I had on a re recent live stream and who's been showing case here a bunch of times. He does that stuff a lot. Um, there's plenty of other artists around the world that also do that. But I just think if your shell is yellowed and cracked and it's starting to fall apart, you could probably glue it back together, sand it down, and then put on a couple of coats of paint and some clear coat that might even hold all of that together. So you could breathe complete new life into a console that was probably about to crumble if it was continued to be exposed to air and the elements and stuff like that. So I love seeing these paint jobs. I don't love seeing them done on perfectly mint consoles with no yellowing, but it's your console, do whatever you want with it. But especially consider the retro gamer store replacements or a really high-end nice paint job, or I guess even a fun one with a spray can. Uh, whatever but just you know you don't have to throw out cracked yellowed shells you could as long as they haven't completely deteriorated and started to fall apart you could actually make something pretty cool of it so definitely props to that uh, the next few things are a little bit mixed opinion but i mean all of this stuff in a positive way the first was uh there are two mods in here that were open source mods the first was the super cic made by bordy as well as akari um, Bordy's made a ton of mods. You've heard him featured here quite a bit and uh, interviewed and Akari as well. Akari is also the creator of the FX pack. Um, and there was also a de-jitter mod for this, which was done by Marcus, the OSSC creator. And I think Bordy got a little upset on social media about the open source part not being showcased. And this is one of those things where I completely understand and agree and with, with all sides of this. Um, I do really get annoyed when I see open source stuff abused, which is not what happened here, but I'm just saying. Um, I, I, it does kind of bug me, and I've been involved in projects before that were stolen and rebranded as if somebody else did all of the work and spent all of the money and all of the time to make it happen just to give away for free. And I understand the frustration, especially when all you ask is just credit. Let's go back to the GitHub or the retro RGB page and people refuse to do that for some reason. I guess it's one of those insecure ego things with the stores. They don't want people knowing that it's not their design or drives me nuts, but most people are very good about that. Uh, so that it's something I completely understand when people get frustrated, but on the flip side, I completely know what it's like trying to get your video out, trying to get it 
as, as good as you possibly can and forgetting to mention stuff like that. I forget stuff like that in every single video that I make. I try to correct it. I try my best to not, but I mean, when you just start putting out even one video a week, you're going to make those mistakes. So to anybody who was involved in that discussion with Bordy, um, I, I would love to, you know, did, I would love to have Tito and I fly out to Europe to hang out at an expo out there. I guarantee if we all hung out together, um, there, this would be nothing but positivity throughout the whole thing. Uh, and in Tito's defense, he did immediately pin a comment uh, crediting them. Uh, and also in this, you know, added to the description and in this post on retro RGB. So this is one of those honest mistakes that just everybody involved is awesome people. And, you know, just one of those oops mistakes that you're not going to, it's going to happen basically. But I wanted to clarify that because all people involved are awesome. And I just didn't want anybody being upset over this. The last thing, which might piss some people off, but that's fine because it's coming from me, not anybody else. I am so glad Tito showcased how the two chip SNES bypass mostly never works. When I saw the installation part start, my heart sunk and I was like, oh man, if, you know, if, if Tito plays the one game where it works great, or he's on the one model revision SNES, people are going to spend a lot of wasted money and time on something that doesn't normally work. Now, I want to make sure that I'm very clear that I'm not throwing shade at the developers who spent the time to try to make these things. It's this kind of work that leads you to a final product that is consistent. So to any of the devs out there making it, thank you for all of your time over the years. For people selling the mod, I don't, I think it's a little shady. I think you need detailed documentation that shows people that in most cases it does nothing, but you spend money and risk your console trying to do it. Now, it's, I'm sure there's going to be comments that say, no, 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 look at this forum thread that proves that it works. Yeah, with certain model revision motherboards and with certain games but it doesn't work at all on some uh, motherboard revisions. And it also doesn't, not only does it not work on some games and I don't mean like the rare ones, like the, you know, just like the 512 resolution or the 480i ones. I just mean regular 240p games. Sometimes not only does it not work, it makes them worse than a standard blurry two chip. So um, I don't recommend this at all now. Maybe some of the ones that are out there would be good if there was proper documentation as to which consoles or which motherboard revisions for the console it might actually make a big difference on. But the one from Voltar is very promising. Now, yes, Voltar is my friend, but I'm sure there's always a million people that say, I only promote my friend stuff. That's fine. Talk all you want. The screenshots Zach's been posting speak for themselves. Consistently working across every game tried on multiple motherboard revisions. But the, one of the main reasons that project's been delayed is because Zach's been getting the documentation ready for which motherboard revision requires which board, which combination of boards, what mods. It is not like an SNES mini mod where you drop the chip over the pins and you connect three cables and you never have to worry about anything else four cables if you want sync, but it's not like that. And it's not like the one chip bypass, which is mostly not needed. But if you're, if you're, you know, if you got, if you have a RetroTINK 2X or a consumer TV with component input, you're probably never going to see the difference between a stock one chip and one with the RGB bypass. If you got a BVM or the TINK 4K, you probably would benefit from doing that. But those are consistent across every game. You, you take the one chip SNES that's already super sharp and make it even clearer clearer and sharper 
That's not the case today with the two-chip mods, at least not properly documented. It might be for one motherboard rev. So I wanted to dig in deep on this too, because it's it just, there's, while I've explained it quite a few times answering Q&A questions, I never wanted to make a video or a post of why you shouldn't do two-chip mods, because I don't, I just don't think you should do it in this context of here I sell a board that fixes all two chip SNESs and that's not what Tito did and I don't think that's what the store that sold them did I just I'm just voicing my opinion here I think until solid documentations out there and products that we know are absolutely going to work even if you have to do per motherboard rev I think that's the time to talk about it and I certainly wouldn't want to put up a video that says don't buy these you know because I don't want devs to feel like I'm insulting their time I appreciate all of the work done because we wouldn't have gotten here without you know it's every time I failed an experiment all of my nerds are going to be nodding their head right now every failed experiment I've ever run has gotten me one step closer to the solution so all of the work people put into those mods Thank you so much. I genuinely mean that. Uh, and hopefully soon we can get one or multiple versions on the market with the proper documentation. But until then, you're going to see what you saw in Tito's video. No difference or maybe worse in most scenarios. So sorry to word vomit over all of this, but I just really wanted to highlight a lot of this stuff. The reason I started Retro RGB is because of my love for Super Nintendo and Genesis, but especially Super Nintendo. So I have... So much useless SNES knowledge bouncing around in my giant Romanian cranium that I just felt like sharing it once again. So thank you for suffering through this. I recently posted a video with Jason who runs an electronic recycling shop and I met him at Retro World Expo and as soon as he said he was an electronics recycler, I immediately was like, whoa, 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 whoa come here. We got to talk CRTs. So I scheduled a time, we got him on the podcast and this was kind of half and half. This was me educating him and anybody else who's looking to get into this stuff about CRTs, what the community is generally looking for, and trying to iron out some of the, um, some of the misinformation that's always spread. Uh, and on the flip side, I really wanted to hear his perspective of what it's like to do this and some of the things that you might not know. And I really wanted to highlight how important a lot of this stuff is that could very easily be skipped across and people don't realize what goes into it because it is very cool. You do end up recycling and reusing a whole bunch of very awesome stuff that could have just been completely tossed. So I enjoyed this one a lot. This was pretty neat. I'm going to keep in touch with Jason and hopefully this is now will lead down a path for him and other honest recyclers to resell CRTs at good prices because it's not going to be free if you get it through a recycler because that means they would have taken the time to power it on, make sure it works, check the inputs, post pictures, all the things that I went through. So you're going to pay, but you're also going to pay for somebody to do all of the work that you don't have to. You don't have to hunt one down on the side of the road, bring it home, make sure it's not filled with roaches and spiders, make sure everything in it is working properly and it has all the inputs that you want. So I, I do hope this leads to a bunch more. Uh, hopefully this could be shared in electronics recycler circles somewhere. And hopefully we get a lot more ways to pick up CRTs that are pre-checked for us. I do want to add my little nerd disclaimer that somebody could go through and check every single component on here. It'll work perfect. And a month later, it'll die. These things are 20, 30, 40 years old. So just keep that in mind when you buy these. Um, and it's also why I don't recommend people spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on consumer TVs unless they are fully recapped, restored. But that's not what Jason does. Jason's just going to be 
making sure they still work, making sure there's no damage, and reselling them. So uh, I'll put links to everything uh, in, as always, with all the long-form podcasts. Just search any podcast app for Retro RGB Recycler, and you should be able to pick this one up. But hopefully this one was entertaining, because I really did like kind of seeing the other side of things, and hopefully we can get a bunch more cool CRTs out in the market pre-checked for us. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through anything and only add thoughts when I kind of feel like it. But if you want more details, visual examples, and all the rest, please subscribe to Lou on YouTube and check out the video. Uh, first up is something I know nothing about, so I'm just going to repeat what Lou wrote so that I could hopefully pass the info on. But if you're using the Amiga Core with Kickstart version 1.3 and want to get the shared folder working with it, then check out the forum thread on the Mr. FPGA forums that shows you how to get it working. See, this is yet another reason why I'm so appreciative for Lou, because uh, I don't know anything about Amigas, and I have no idea what that means. So please check out Lou's video if you want more examples. Uh, next... Robert is still just making crazy progress with the N64 core, and it's starting to get even more exciting than before. All the stuff uh, that you would want is being worked on at the same time, so some of the de-dither stuff and uh, all of the different enhancements at the same time as the core is progressing. It's awesome. If you're even remotely interested in this, definitely follow Robert on social media, and if you appreciate the work as much as I do, please consider subscribing on Patreon, because that's the only way we're going to get this stuff. Uh, next, Mr. Add-on's RF adapter will is almost ready for full production. So this is pretty cool. This would mean if you need to go from composite to RF, because both if you have an RF-only TV and you're, you're using anything from a console that doesn't have its own RF adapter to something like a Mr. where you're going composite, but you need to go to an RF TV, I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. I'll definitely be buying one and testing it and seeing how it compares to using a VCR. Obviously, it's going to win when it comes to size because that's, you know, that's definitely a factor in this. But I'd love to see if there's actually a performance difference or anything else. And could we even see it because it's RF? I don't know. I think it's cool as hell. And I like that something like this is being made. Uh, also, the existing Genesis core has been depreciated and everyone should be using the new Mega Drive core based on the new MD. Um, and that's the core that is... Uh, based off of decapped chips from a Genesis that should be even more accurate. So it's very cool. I mean, that's something like this isn't taken lightly. Sorg's not going to just say, oh, all right, well, I'm throwing out the old one and using the new one without doing some real testing. And that must mean that the accuracy on this is even higher than the other one. So that's exciting. And it's also just... A quick aside here, I love it when stuff is revisited. I, I love seeing Hotego go back and update older cores, and I love people going back and saying, hey, this is totally fine, but I don't like fine. I like as good as I could possibly make it. That just makes my, my nerd heart smile, so thank you. Also, the Mars FPGA project posted videos of various games uh, and, and some teasers and some cool stuff like that. And I've, I've been talking to some of the Mars crew. I haven't gotten a post or anything ready because I just want to present the info properly. But it's a real project um, and it seems like it's going to be very, very cool. I just want to make sure to get the word out properly i guess so um and there's no rush it's not like there's going to be a pre-order open tomorrow or, or anything so you know i'm probably going to, to just when i get to it get to it type of thing but it's no disrespect to the mars team if anything it's a a nod to how how much 
respect I have for the potential of this thing. You know, I'll get a good post together, maybe an interview. I don't know. I'll talk to the team and see what they'd like to do. But keep your eyes on that. You know, follow on social media and see. And you know, some of the some of their marketing clips I think are actually kind of funny, and some are seem to be confusing people. But you'll see. Or it's all a very big elaborate lie, but even then, props to, props to them for going through this much trouble. It's not; it's real. But I'm I'm just saying. Either way, it's worth it's worth. Hopefully, that came out right. I'm gonna get trolled like hell today. Anyway, um, uh, Reiki showed off a shot of the Taito F3's display processor. So it looks like they're working on some reverse engineering, and they're kind of looking into making the whole core. I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think that's something that's completed yet, but I think it's pretty cool that it's in progress and more core, uh, more die shots are being shown. I love seeing the decapped chips and stuff like that. Those are always exciting. Um, Reiki also announced that Kiki Kakai's production MCU dump was successful. So that was a Taito arcade game from 1986. So now they're able to get the dump from that. Uh, next, Hodego released a beta core for the arcade basketball game Punk Shot, which is a two-on-two game that shares more in common with Arch Rivals than NBA Jam. So if you're into Arch Rivals, maybe this one is something you'd want to give a chance to. Um, and the next game in the Mr. Discord game challenge is Neo Turf Masters CD, specifically the extra Scotland course that's not available on the others. The score challenge goes up until September 22nd. So as always, thanks so much to Lou for keeping up with all this stuff. There's no way I could by myself. And I also appreciate adding all the knowledge of things I have no idea about. Like I still haven't even seen an Amiga in person. So thank you very much. Please remember to subscribe to Lou. Next up is an HDMI mod for the original Model 1 Sega Genesis. And this is a mod that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but at first I misunderstood it, and then I wanted to wait until pre-orders were open, and then I missed the pre-order date. Uh, so the pre-orders are still open. But I'd like to walk everybody through what this is, because I wanted to make sure that everybody got the correct information about this. First and foremost, this is not some analog to digital conversion inside the Genesis. I've seen those before. There was one notorious modder a while back that was taking those SCART to HDMI devices, gluing them inside a Genesis, wiring it to the RGB pins and calling it an HDMI mod. And that really kind of put a damper on Genesis HDMI mods for a while. And that is not what this is. This is what I would describe as hybrid emulation, just like Crix's RGB blaster and James from RetroHQ's 7800 game drive. This taps the digital signals coming off of the VDP and uses an FPGA to create a digital HDMI output for the video. Analog audio is routed through, so you still get that same awesome Model 1 analog audio just through the HDMI port to make it easier. So this is mostly using real hardware. You're using the real uh, CPU, you're using the RAM chips, you're using real cartridges, but the video chip is basically recreated on an FPGA and then the signal is manipulated and outputted via an HDMI port. Now, one very important point, this does not affect the analog output at all. So that means you could do this and you could still have a fully functioning Model 1 Genesis or Mega Drive and I think that's absolutely awesome. You want that original jailbarry Genesis experience, or what if you have a, a composite video CRT, but you also like to play on a flat panel? I think that it's just awesome that this adds all of those things into it. 
Also, the developer Stanislav had put in a bunch of very cool features. Like you could have a buffered mode where it adds a little bit of latency, but you get compatibility with all displays and no dropouts with resolution changes. So games like Creator of Senti that have a, re a menu at one resolution and a game at the other, you won't have any dropouts. I think for that game, it's really just the title screen. So uh, that I would try the other mode first, but it's awesome that that's there. But there's also the no latency mode, and it, that is available 1080p 5x. There's a whole bunch of cropping options. I posted one of the videos in here, but it just, it looks really cool. And I think this is just the perfect, this is the perfect balance between hardware emulation and original hardware. Because everything is original, including the analog out if you want that, but you do get a clean, no jail bar HDMI output on this thing. And I believe it also outputs in just direct 240p. So if you wanted to, you could put it through any other scalers. Um, you know, and that's, that's when you start to get into a debate of do you want F or FPGA in your original consoles? Do you want to use a mister? Do you want to use an analog? And there's no right answer. It's whatever you want to do for your scenario. So I think that is very, very cool. Um, uh, I think at the moment, in order to buy this, you have to send Stanislav an email and then PayPal. Uh, I think once a few more prototypes are out, or I think these are production versions, but I think what, once a few more hit and any of the firmware bugs are kind of worked through, if there are any left, then uh, he's just going to open up a store and sell them like normal. I purchased one. I'm going to be installing it in one of the Genesis consoles I have here in a retro gamer store shell. So you can see the awesome mod work done on it. That's also a console that has the VDP subcarrier bypass. So composite and RGB look much better. So I'm going to add the clean HDMI out to it uh, as well. The only uh, downsides about this is it can't work with the 32X. Now, when I, I stressed can't because this is not Stanislav's problem. It's the way the 32X works is the Genesis draws its signal. And then that's why you have the video out that goes to the video in of the 32X. And then the 32X layers its video on top. So for the 32X to do this, you would need a 32X modded with an HDMI in and an HDMI out or just use all... Yeah, it's just it's never going to work with a 32X. However, it will work with Sega CD. So I think that's pretty awesome as well. And it currently won't work with Master System. I'm not really sure why, but maybe that's something that could be added with a firmware update. It certainly would be appreciated because SMS games are messy very often, uh, even sometimes on Model 1 Genesis consoles. So... Uh, that's the least of everybody's worries though. This thing's looks awesome. I'm really looking forward to giving it a try. And as soon as I get it installed, I'm going to be doing a live stream of it, or maybe I'll try and install it myself and do a live stream of me and my mediocre mod work. I would have to have my friends on there trolling me the whole time though. I'd have to schedule, I'd have to schedule a trolling session with Voltar so he could tease me as I got it in, but I think I could pull it off, but I think this is very cool. I'm happy to showcase it here. I just, uh, I, it kept getting delayed. At first, I saw it quickly and I was like, oh, great, another analog to digital converter glued in, which is not fair, right? That's like blaming the current person you're dating for something the last person you dated did. I, I know that's not fair, but it's human nature. I got so sick of seeing those SCART to HDMI adapters glued in that I just said, you know, OG, not again. But uh, no, I was totally wrong. And then I just wanted to do a good post and make sure that I was able to highlight it and and wait for the real pre-orders to come out, not just show production stuff. But yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited for it. And hopefully I'll be following up in a couple of weeks to show everybody how it works. 
Before I go, I just want to let everybody know that Dubsenhauer had posted a video of Tito and my panel at Retro World Expo. I had a, a really good time doing that panel with Tito. I've talked about it a whole bunch as it is already, so I'll skip through it. But if you were interested in the discussion and you just wanted to, to see two people hanging out with a very awesome crowd of very cool nerds, then uh, please check this one out. Doob said that the audio didn't come out that great, but I listened to it and I, I thought it was fine. So, you know, it's it's kind of always like that whenever you take video of panels, unless we're mic'd up, which we were not and probably should have been, you're never really going to get good audio. And even with us mic'd up, it's kind of even hard because the rooms are always echoey. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. So I don't think it came out that bad at all. And I do appreciate him taking video of it. So uh, thanks to Doobsenhauer. And of course, thanks to Tito for allowing me to be on that panel. That was a blast. Well, that's it for this week. Damn, I talked a lot this week, huh? I guess I was just really passionate about some of the topics. I hope uh, I hope I don't annoy people too much with this. And I also hope that if I have a short section, it doesn't people don't interpret that as I didn't care. Sometimes it's just pre-orders open at 10 tomorrow, have at it, and there really isn't much explanation needed. But whenever I feel like I want to add some perspective is when I, or if it's a, a topic that people are often confused about and I get a lot of questions on, I try to spend more time on that stuff. But maybe I spent too much time. I don't know. But that's why I have the time. One of the many reasons why I have the timestamps in the description everywhere. So if I start boring you to death on one topic, feel free to skip around. But um, you know, hopefully I do add perspective that helps because certainly things like, you know, clearing up accidental beefs or, uh, or making sure to let people know which mod is probably not the one for you are topics that I think not only need to be out there, but they need to be explained. I don't want to just throw a middle finger up in the air and be like, that mod sucks. I don't want to be insulting. I'd rather, I guess I'd rather bore everybody to death and over explain it like I'm probably doing right now. But anyway, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports anywhere because that's what's keeping all of these things alive. Support services are the, the most help, but also just clicking on affiliate links or even just buying the same stuff at the same price, but clicking the affiliate link first is always a massive help. So thank you all so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>